Welcome to Glove Talk, your weekly news in boxing. Let's kind of get into it. Let's start talking about what everyone's talking about. And to me, I think this is something that is kind of special because for our first episode, I get to talk about a living legend, and that is Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson kind of broke the internet with his five-second clip and then broke it again when he came out with the 21-second clip. I thought that, you know, him being involved in boxing was pretty much dead. I thought that he was not going to be coming back in any way, shape, or form. So for him to come in and kind of start showing that he's starting to get serious about it was really interesting. This is him before he started started training. This is him now. I mean, he looks fantastic. Immediately, Shannon Briggs started getting involved. And when Shannon Briggs gets involved, you know, there's going to be a lot of kind of hoopla and a lot of uh, it's going to kind of turn into a circus, so to speak. There was uh, an account saying that, you know, Shannon Briggs and that Mike Tyson were going to fight and it was going to be 20 million dollar fight and it was going to be bare knuckle and all this stuff later turned out to be fake. Of course, Shannon Briggs is going to continue to try to get himself in insert himself into this whole situation even today he said that you know um he talked with mike and it's official they're gonna fight i don't really believe that i don't i really ever believe shannon Briggs when he says this kind of stuff the most likely thing that's actually gonna happen and what i would put my money on holyfield and tyson having this trilogy when you know evander holyfield was on joe rogan's podcast evander was talking about coming back and kind of doing kind of sparring and stuff like that evander made it very clear that this was going to be for exhibition and it was going to be something that he does purely as a way to kind of raise money for certain kind of causes and charities he even said stuff like you know oh there's going to be no you know hitting to the head it's just going to be body work it's going to be kind of like light sparring and stuff like that he talked about you know riddick bow possibly being a, a candidate for this but what makes it even more interesting is when you know Mike Tyson was on with Joe Rogan a while back. Joe started talking to Mike about the idea of his son, Mike Tyson's son, fighting as a professional fighter. And Mike immediately was like, I don't think he is. You know, he's he's kind of, he grew up a a very privileged lifestyle. I don't see him kind of going into that world. I don't want him to go into that world. And then, you know, Joe kind of asks, you know, Mike, so do you kind of hit the heavy bag? Do you kind of, you know, show him a few things here and there? And Mike immediately was like, no, I don't work out. I don't do any of that stuff. Joe was like, why not? And Mike made it very clear that he's highly, highly competitive. When he starts working out or he starts kind of getting back in that world of boxing, he starts feeling like he could really compete in that he wants to compete. He wants to be competing against not just people probably his age, but, you know, actual professional fighters. Evander talked about it kind of being friendly and kind of this light sparring and exhibition and everything like that. Mike kind of talked about about the fact that he kind of can't help himself, that if he gets in that competitive mode, that he almost goes for it and he wants to be in that competitive kind of world a little bit when he starts working out or he starts feeling that kind of confidence again. Whether or not it's going to be friendly sparring if they go at it again, I don't think it would be. After the internet went so crazy over those clips of his, I really think Mike Tyson, I I would not be surprised if we see Mike Tyson actually square up with a real heavyweight, not someone that's like a Anthony Joshua, not a Tyson Fury, not a Deontay Wilder type, but someone that's maybe in the top 80, a no name to you and me, but someone that they can kind of prop up with like a perfect record and someone that Mike can go in there and and 
probably be. And if that happens, it could be really interesting to see what happens for Mike and where he decides to go with this. I almost think Mike's using the Evander fight as I'm going to just try it and then he's going to just keep going with it regardless of whatever he decides to do or regardless of if he decides to really be back or if these are just exhibition fights for charity and just to kind of make some money. I really hope Mike just takes his health into consideration and regardless of everything, I wish him the best and I hope he does make plenty of money off of it because boxing, as we all know, is no joke and guys fighting at 53 years old, it's just a little bit scary to watch and I don't love the idea of them fighting. That said, if Mike Tyson's fighting, I am buying the pay-per-view. I am absolutely watching that, and I'm sure you are too. Kind of speaking of Evander Holyfield, this week he talked about the fact that he believes his son could be better than he was in boxing. I think that's very sweet of Evander Holyfield to say that. I think that's very encouraging of him to say something like that about his son. I don't believe it. I don't know if Evander actually believes it. I, I'm not doing that to, to diss his son or kind of be harsh on his son. The reason I say that is because Evander Holyfield is a very special and very different kind of fighter. He had that rough upbringing, which a lot of fighters have. But the thing that made Evander so ferocious in the ring and made him so driven in the ring was the fact that he felt for a very long time like he wasn't getting recognized the same way Mike Tyson was. And that kind of drove him to be the fighter he was. It drove him to try to be this person that people saw and actually recognized for the skill he had and, and the warrior mentality he had. I hope that his son does do well and I think it'd be a very special moment for him and his son if his son wins a title or wins a couple big fights you know that's fantastic and I, I wish him all the best but I don't truly believe his son's going to be a hall of famer in the same way you know Evander Holyfield is now with that said let's get into one of my favorite weight classes and that's the lightweight division so uh right off the bat Linares said that he is a four times world champion and Ryan Garcia is simply just an internet champion yeah that's that's pretty accurate you know what i'm actually very intrigued by this fight i i really want to see what happens here you know you kind of have almost like this could be a passing of the torch because you had lenaris lenaris was the fast-handed kind of fighter and now that's ryan garcia the thing about this fight is that you know we hear from oscar de la hoya how great ryan garcia is but he really hasn't fought someone with the kind of skill set and kind of veteran knowledge that Linares has. The scary thing about this fight, and for me, and I, I'm sure many of you have been thinking this as well, is that you dread, you truly, truly dread that this fight, that it will be stopped, and it will be stopped because Linares gets cut. Linares has openly admitted that he says, quote unquote, I have the best cut man in the, in the business. And the reason for that is that he gets cut so easily. If that does happen in this fight and they have to stop it because of that, us as fans, yeah, we'll be disappointed. But someone like a Linares, where he's not going to have a ton of big fights left in his career. And someone like a Ryan Garcia, they need to know where they are and kind of where they stand 
understand. I think that, you know, overall, we could see Ryan Garcia come out of the gate pretty quick and maybe win a couple rounds right off the bat. Linares make some changes and adapt and start to come back. But then we could also see Linares then get cut and it just changes the entire fight, if not stop the fight. And that would be a shame because I think this is an interesting matchup. And I really want to see if Ryan Garcia can step up to that next level, because if he does, there's a guy at the next uh, level that really wants to fight him. And that is Gervonta Davis. Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz are talking about fighting. And I hope this happens. A couple reasons being that I think Gervonta Davis really does need to step up his game. I think he needs to go up to the next level as well. After his last fight with Gamboa, I was less than impressed with him. I love his power. I love everything about him for the most part. I hate that he cannot stay in the gym. When he's not training, he lets himself balloon up. He gets into a weight gain that he shouldn't do. And it was kind of sad that he couldn't hit 135 pounds. Mind you, he came from 130 to 135 to fight Gamboa. He was already going up five pounds and then he missed weight. That shouldn't happen. I mean, it's not like you look at Gervonta Davis and he has this huge frame and he's he's oversized for the weight class. He's not. I think that with this fight, we're going to see Leo Santa Cruz won it at 130, which he should. I don't see why you'd want to give that edge to Davis at all. But the thing that makes this fight so intriguing is whether or not Gervonta Davis can really make weight. And if he can't make weight, what's the penalty going to be? Is it going to be a million dollars? It can be half a million dollars. If I'm Leo Santa Cruz, I'm going to make as much money of him making weight as possible. Other thing is I looked at the punch stats from the Gamboa fight. And it was kind of shocking. It was shocking to see that Gervonta Davis fighting at lightweight was throwing the same volume as punches as, as heavyweights do normally. That's not good. That's not where you want to be. And that just shows he doesn't have that kind of gas tank that he should for a lightweight. Leo Santa Cruz, on the other hand, throws a lot of punches. That's what makes this kind of an interesting fight in a way, because if it goes to decision, I don't know if Gervonta Davis can win. I see Leo Santa Cruz throwing five, six, seven, eight punches to Gervonta Davis's one. If Gervonta Davis doesn't land that one big right hand on of his, actually left handy, I think he's southpaw. If he doesn't land that, what happens in this fight? I don't really think that Gervonta Davis can outpoint Leo Santa Cruz. Moving on in the lightweight division, we have Devin Haney and you all know what he said. I'm not going to harp on this too much. I just want to say this. I'm glad to see that he's kind of talking about the fact that he shouldn't have said it. Should have said that he was going to lose to anybody. Quite honestly, he's a kid. He said something stupid. And I really think that all these people that are coming at him and, and on social media saying that they're not fans anymore and that they're not going to watch his fight and everything like that, that's fine. You know, um, I think that he's learned that he should should have just kind of watch what he said a little bit. And for me, it's it's no biggie. Let's move on. Let him be kind of let's see how he develops. I actually really like Devin Haney as a fighter. So anyways, now for me, the big fight that could be happening at lightweight and the most exciting fight for me, especially as a Lomachenko fan is Lomachenko and Lopez 
fighting in September. It could be behind closed doors and I'm okay with that. I really don't care. I just want to see this fight happen. I think why I want to see this more than anything is I really think that Loma is going to unify the belts. I think he's going to show that he is that next level and he is that class above Teofimo Lopez. But the thing is, Teofimo Lopez still has that scary power. I mean, going into the Richard Comey fight, I thought for sure Richard Comey was going to use his length. For sure, he was going to try to box him a little bit more and keep distance. And he didn't. And wow, did Teofimo Lopez make him pay. Regardless whether you have Loma winning this or not, I personally think that it's going to be interesting. I want to see what Teofimo Lopez can do when he starts getting challenged and what happens to him when, you know, his game plan goes out the window. He can't do what he normally would. He starts going against someone that takes away your best weapons and takes away what you do best. So with that being said, let's get up to the next weight class. Let's talk about welterweight now. Uh, Amir Khan talking about he does not want to fight behind closed doors. He doesn't want to do this because he wants the fans behind him and he, he wants his fan base there. That's code for me that Amir Khan doesn't want to do this because he knows he's not going to make as much money because there's going to be no gate. That's what I'm getting from this to be honest with you. I really think that Amir Khan knows that his career is coming to an end. He knows that his days are numbered and that he's not going to have a ton of fights left as a professional. So he wants to make as much money as possible. He has three kids. He has a wife. He has a whole life after boxing to still live. If he's going to fight, he needs to make as much money as possible, especially after the Terrence Crawford fight. With that Terrence Crawford fight, that really kind of, it really hurt him. It hurt his fan base quite a bit, and it kind of made people not really care about him anymore or not really interested in watching him fight anymore. Some people say he quit. Some people say it was a legitimate low blow. Doesn't matter. The truth of the matter is that Amir Khan, he still has a couple fights left in him. And where he goes with that, that's up to him. I'm very curious, you British boxing fans, do you care about the idea of him fighting Kelbrook? Is that a fight you still want to see? Because if you do, I'd love to hear your opinion. I know us US boxing fans, we don't really care about that as much. Pretty much right after the Spence fight where Kelbrook lost to Spence, which was that was a great fight. We kind of lost interest in Kelbrook a little bit. And especially after the Terrence Crawford fight, we definitely lost any appetite to watch Amir Khan fight. What do you guys think? Let me know down in the comments below. Tell me what your thoughts on this are. Speaking of the man Terrence Crawford, Terrence Crawford, Aram says that he wants to set up a Pacquiao, Spence, or Porter fight for him next. I'll believe it when I see it. You know, with Cavalaskis fight. A lot of people thought that he was losing that fight. I had him down in the cards in that fight. Granted, he turned it around and he did win. Two of these fighters are under PBC and I don't think the PBC and I don't think Al Heyman wants to give any kind of fight Terrence Crawford. Not unless Terrence Crawford's going to be the B-side. Terrence Crawford's not going to be the B-side. So does that mean Aram's going to give the Pacquiao fight to Terrence Crawford? Love to see that fight. I think in general, Terrence Crawford would love to fight Manny Pacquiao. I mean, everyone in the division wants to fight Manny Pacquiao. Danny Garcia talks about the next fight he's going to have is either Spence or Pacquiao. Everyone wants that fight. Mikey Garcia is talking about he wants to fight Manny Pacquiao. I don't know who's actually going to do it, but I really think that Pacquiao is going to pick someone who he feels comfortable with, someone who he feels like he can beat. And I think Bob Arum knows that if he puts in Terrence Crawford against Manny Pacquiao, he could win. That would put a little bit of a dent in Manny's end of his career but 
at the same time that could transfer some of those Pacquiao fans into Terrence Crawford fans. But if Terrence Crawford loses to Manny Pacquiao, that's going to hurt him. And that's certainly going to make it less appetizing for Crawford Spence fight. In fact, I don't even know what's going on with Spence right now. I hope he's okay. I hope he's recovering fine. And I can't wait to see him fight, but he might not be the same fighter. And it's too bad because I would have loved to seen him before the car crash fight Terrence Crawford. Now going on from this, start talking about some of the middleweight division. And first person we're going to talk about is Chris Eubank Jr. talking about how he's not impressed with Charlo. Chris Eubank Jr. talks a lot. He's talking about how it's going to be easy to beat Canelo and would love to do fight Charlo. And I don't know who he's going to fight next, but I just want to see, you know, Chris Eubank Jr. active, especially now that he's training with Roy Jones Jr. I believe Chris has even said that this is the best he's felt or this is this is the most he's ever learned in camp. If you're going to learn for anyone, Roy Jones Jr. is certainly someone that you can learn from and take some notes from. But I also think it's it's a respect thing with Chris, because I think that in the past, Chris really didn't respect his trainers and didn't feel as though his coaches were going to give him enough. And I think with Roy, well, he knows where Roy's been and what Roy's done. And so I think that gives him a certain amount of clout that will hopefully enable Chris to be a little more active and step up to the next level. I, I'm excited to see where he goes from here. Uh, Demetrius Andrade saying that he can beat Triple G and that he's used to be excited about an idea of a Triple G fight, but he's not anymore. I don't understand this. I really don't understand this. Demetrius Andrade, you should want a Triple G fight now more than ever. He looks beatable. He looks mortal finally. Why would you not want that fight? Demetrius Andrade, he said that he could beat him in his prime. He could beat Triple G in his prime and that he doesn't want to fight him now because he's not in his prime and that Canelo fought him when he's not in his prime. And so, yeah, he won. But, you know. It's not prime Triple G, so it doesn't really count kind of thing. Regardless, I think that's a bunch of BS. And if you're Demetrius Andrade, you're kind of already left out in the cold when it comes to the middleweight division. You don't have the fan base. And I think what you should be looking for is someone like a Triple G to help elevate your status. Let people know who you are a little bit more, especially for the casual fan base. They don't know who Demetrius Andrade is, especially when you're fighting someone like, a, was it Luke Keeler was his last fight? Who cares? You know, you're not fighting big names. So if, I, if I'm him, I'm trying to look for someone like a Triple G who's on his way out, who's starting to look mortal, who would be great to have on your resume as a win. Regardless of when you fought him, it's still a win. Now we're going to move super middleweight. John Ryder's eyeing fighting uh, Danny Jacobs. I hope this happens. One, I think John Ryder beat Callum Smith. I think Callum Smith knows that John Ryder beat him. And so to see, you know, John Ryder go from a Callum Smith upsetting loss to someone like a Danny Jacobs is fantastic. It's he's keeping at that same kind of name recognition level and not kind of going way back down and then going way back up. The other thing about this is I think that Danny Jacobs is very comfortable at this weight class. Super middle it fits his body size much better than middleweight. Danny Jacobs went up to this weight class thinking he wants that Callum Smith fight. He knows he can beat Callum Smith. So if he beats John Ryder, it really sets up a great Danny Jacobs Callum Smith fight. There's no reason that they shouldn't get it on. I think this is a win-win for everyone. I think it's great for John Ryder, especially fighting here in, in the States and fighting in New York City, making some good money. And speaking of other people that want to fight Callum Smith, Bivol talking about coming down from light heavyweight to fight at super middleweight 
to get that Callum Smith fight. If I'm Callum Smith and I'm looking at all these three guys, I'm looking at John Ryder, I'm looking at Bivol, and I'm looking at Danny Jacobs. If I'm going to take one of these guys on, I'm probably going to take up on D Danny Jacobs. The reason I'm going to take on Danny Jacobs is for the money. If you go against Bivol, Bivol's been fighting light heavyweights. I could see him roughing up Callum Smith. John Ryder, you could fight that fight again. I don't see a lot of money in that for you, unless you do have it just purely in the UK, which that could work. But but the Danny Jacobs fight, if he beats Danny Jacobs, it could be a really nice name on his resume. The money could be great. He could kind of introduce himself a little bit more to that New York boxing fan base and just the American fan base in general. He's the one that's most attractive to me if I'm Callum Smith, just purely based on namesake alone and, and how well he's known. I don't want anything to do with Bivol. Bivol is a very tough fighter. Quite frankly, if I'm Callum Smith, I'd, I'd just stay away from him. So with that said, we're going now to the big boy heavyweights my favorite weight class I'm sure your favorite weight class so let's talk about heavyweights and some of the news that's going on here Parker manager has talked about him fighting now Lucas Brown and that this is going to happen who cares I don't care I'm sure you don't care this just isn't an appetizing fight I mean let's be honest about it Joseph Parker is a top 10 heavyweight where you put him in there that's up to you but he's a top 10 heavyweight Lucas Brown lost to a guy who I think is hilarious and, and a fun boxer to watch on Instagram, but isn't the best boxer, that's Dave Allen. If Dave Allen can beat you, I'm going to guess a Joseph Parker is going to beat you. I don't get this fight. I don't really see any benefit for Joseph Parker. The only thing I see beneficial to Joseph Parker in this sense is that, you know, it's the Australian New Zealand thing with the way things are right now. It could be make it maybe be easier to kind of set up this fight. So that way, you know, with restrictions and travel restrictions, Maybe you can make it possible. The other benefit of this I could see is that if you're Joseph Parker, you kind of want a warm up fight to kind of get back into camp and kind of get ready for another bigger name. This could be a good way for you to kind of get that going again. I just don't see this being beneficial for Joseph Parker other than just a warm up fight for Lucas Brown. It's great. I mean, Lucas Brown does not have many fights left in him, especially after that Dave Allen fight. I see this as a win for, for Lucas Brown. I think that Joseph Parker could do better but who cares at this point? If they want to fight, let them fight. But the next fight is the more interesting fight. And that's Usyk and Chizora might take their fight. It might be abroad. I don't care where they have this fight. I just want this fight to happen. The reason I like this fight so much is that, well, Usyk, I think is, a lot of people have been questioning whether he can be a heavyweight and whether he can really disrupt the heavyweight division. I think we all know he is incredibly skillful. He's incredibly talented, but the size, everyone talks about the size and that, you know, can he, had the same punch resiliency that he had at cruiserweight at heavyweight. And I think this is the perfect test for him. I think Derek Chisora also just sells the hell out of a fight. He's fantastic when it comes to the fans. He's great at press conferences. If you're going to have a fight abroad and you're not going to have a big gate on it, this is a great way to do it because at least you're going to get at least a huge UK fan base. You're going to get the hardcore fan base for Usyk in general. Derek Chisora, I mean, he sells tickets. He sells pay-per-views. Maybe not to the same level as as some big heavyweights, you know, not the elite level, but he's a great starting place for Usyk, especially after Usyk's last fight. This is actually a real challenge. Derek Jazora is going into this fight 
going to try to knock off Usyk and show the world that he can fight at that next level. I think both guys have something to prove with this fight. I think both guys could really benefit. And whoever wins this, it's going to be interesting because with Usyk being the mandatory for Anthony Joshua, this could just kind of stir things up a little bit. Now, granted, we'll get to kind of Anthony Joshua and where he's at. I don't care where they have it as long as they have this fight. So next big fight, speaking of having kind of a different setup for a fight, Eddie Hearns is talked about big plans and how he wants to kind of go forward having fights. This is a great option, I think. You know, if you're not going to have a gate and you know that you don't want to rent out stadiums or you don't want to rent out the O2 arena, you might as well not pay for that. You might as well use your own property and just rely on pay-per-views. It's kind of a win-win in that sense. Uh, it's the best that you, well, I should say it's the best you can do, right? In the in this, t you know, time and kind of circumstances. When you look at the fact that Pavetkin, I think Pavetkin lost against Hunter, and I really was super unimpressed with White's last fight. This is a great rebound fight for both of them. If, you know, Pavetkin goes in there and just blasts Dillian White and knocks him out, I mean, he catapults himself back up to the top of the heavyweight division. Definitely, I'd say Pavetkin's in the top 10, but he kind of puts himself closer to that top five range. If Dillian White knocks out Pavekin in a devastating fashion, he kind of reaffirms himself as a top five, top six-ish heavyweight. I think after that last fight, people really kind of question White a little bit and, well, his dedication because he came in in the heaviest he's ever been and he looked so gassed in that fight. This is a great rebound fight for both of them. I want to see what happens. Regardless, it's going to be interesting. I don't think this one's going to go to the judges. I'm pretty sure that someone's going to get knocked out in this fight. We'll see what happens. So um, Aram shoots down this idea that Wilder revealed the step aside money. Look, this is a much more complicated situation than people really want to give it credit for. I think some people want to say, well, it's just simple. You know, Dillian, um, Deontay Wilder, sorry, uh, Deontay Wilder should just take a step aside money because he's not going to beat Tyson Fury. And, you know, why go through it again and, and, and possibly get embarrassed again? Just take the money and just kind of let AJ and, and Tyson Fury battle it out. Let's look at this from kind of a few more angles than just that. You have, you know, Shelly Finkel and you have Al Heyman looking at this and they sure as hell do not want to give up an opportunity for a WBC belt, especially the heavyweight class. They don't want to give that belt away. They don't want to just say, yeah, go ahead. We're going to take some money regardless of what they're going to pay. You know, while they're I think it's 40 percent to whoever kind of got, whoever lost the second fight for the third fight. That's still going to be more money than what was rumored. I think it was like 10 million dollars. Yeah. You're going to make more money than $10 million off the third fight. On top of that, you know, if you're someone like a Deontay Wilder, why would you not go for the belt? Because the truth of the matter is you're not going to beat Fury with skills. You're not going to beat him with head movement. You're not going to beat him by breaking him down. You're going to win by one punch and that's it. You only need that one punch. And if you can land that one punch, you can be champion again. So why wouldn't you roll the dice and go for it? I, I just don't see why you wouldn't. On the other side of things, from Bob Arum's standpoint, he wants to have the fight between, you know, Wilder and Fury happen because in his mind, the way it's going to work is... <laughs> 
I don't think this is going to happen. But he, Bob Arum, thinks that Pulev is going to beat Anthony Joshua. He really believes that. If Pulev beats Joshua and takes those belts away, which I think they also have a clause for a rematch for that, which, you know, if Pulev takes the belts away from Joshua, right? Now, Bob Arum has Fury and he has Pulev and he can pair them together for a unification. Makes it really simple from his standpoint. Why would you end up taking, you know, Tyson Fury and trying to pit him up against Anthony Joshua if you think, if you honestly think that Pulev is going to beat AJ. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. And I'm sure many of you don't think that's going to happen either. But if you're Bob Arum, it's kind of nice because then you don't have to negotiate against Eddie Hearns for deals and contracts. You have Pulev, you have Fury, you can make the fight any way you want. It's simple. And if you're Eddie Hearns, you just want you just want the Fury fight desperately. You probably will pay step aside money for, you know, Wilder to step aside for the fight. The problem is that you have to then look at how much are you going to pay him? If you're going to pay him $30 million to step aside, where are you going to get that money from? Are you going to get it? Are you going to have this fight in like Saudi Arabia and then utilize some of that capital that you make from that fight or from that location to then have the fight with AJ and Fury? Or do you just simply let them have the, the trilogy, let them have the third fight? If Fury wins, which he should win, then it's a great buildup for AJ and you know Fury. It builds up even more and you get to keep that money rather than paying step aside money like that to Wilder. You're never gonna wanna pay that kind of that kind of capital to Wilder to begin with. So, you know, why do that if you don't have to? With that said, you know, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, there's going to be a two fight deal if it happens. It's probably going to happen next year. Tyson Fury is probably going to fight Deontay Wilder. They're probably going to have the trilogy. Regardless of whether or not you think Wilder has a chance or not, I want to see the fight. I think anything can happen when you have a Deontay Wilder in the ring. But I also want to see if what I saw from Fury in that second fight is something that can be sustained is it something that this is the new tyson fury the thing with tyson fury i always find is that when he's kind of the underdog is when he kind of comes out and just puts on this amazing display you know we saw this against klitschko but at the same time we saw him against otto valin when he's the heavy favorite and he comes in there and he got really close to losing that fight and if there was a, you know, different ref in there, they could have easily stopped that fight. In fact, they probably should have. It's interesting to see what happens to Fury now. I know he's confident. He's always confident. But now that he's the favorite, probably a heavy favorite going into it, does he go in there and do the same thing? I don't know. And with know. that, I think we're going to end the podcast. New episodes every Sunday. If you enjoyed this and want to see the video version, you can always check us out on YouTube. And of course, you can check us out on Twitter at glove underscore talk. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for listening. This was Glove Talk. New episodes every Sunday.